Welcome to the Joseph Z Audio Podcast. For more information about this and other resources, go to josephz.com. God has been speaking to you all along. He's been speaking to you the whole time. Many people are going to get through life in different parts of your life. You're going to look back and recognize God has been speaking to me the whole time. That is so powerful because we often say, well, I don't know if God's talking to me. I don't know if this is God's voice or this or that or that. But if you recognize that there's much of, of your, your experience and your walk, that you will realize God has been speaking to you the entire time. And that's why today it's time for you to wake up to your divine occasion. It's time to wake up to your divine occasion. You say, well, what's my divine occasion? What does that even mean? How, how does that work? Or what is a divine occasion? A divine occasion is every moment of every day for you because you are a courier and carrier of God's presence. And when you stand up, you wake up in the morning, you begin to do what God calls you to do, you are literally in a divine occasion because you have the presence of God, the Holy Ghost, living with you, living through you. It's so amazing. So when you start to understand these things, there's power in it. Now, when you recognize God's been speaking to you the whole time, you will see it in a track record down the road. You'll look back one day and go, my goodness, he really did speak to me the entire time. God's been speaking to me the entire time. And you look back, and if you don't quit, you'll begin to see where and when he was speaking to you the entire time. It's powerful. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants to speak to you. He wants to lead you even more than you want to hear him, even more than you want to discover it, even more than you want to engage it. God really wants to speak to you all the time. He is speaking to you all the time. As a matter of fact, if you're watching this broadcast, God's speaking to you through me right now. You know, and did you know that when people are preaching or when I preach the word, it's wonderful to hear exactly what I'm teaching on, but there's a spirit confirmation. There's a Holy Ghost confirmation that the Lord will speak to you the message through the message, the message for you, the message through what you're listening to. In other words, if you're listening to a teaching and you're listening to these things, you can hear what's being said and it's good, but there is a rhema, supernatural, God voice, Holy Ghost uh, voice that will speak to you. As you are hearing the voice of God, as you are hearing the word of God spoken and preached and taught from the word, from the scriptures, you will realize that God will speak to you about a present sense situation, about a present tense situation where you're beginning to hear something that is not necessarily even part of the message. Sometimes a piece of the message will blow up inside you. Sometimes more than that will. And sometimes something completely unrelated will be almost like you're interpreting the spirit of God. It's equal to prophecy. Sometimes when people are preaching and you're getting God speaking to you about other things and you can walk away and go, my goodness, that was a great message. And people say, what was it about? You go, I don't know, but I was alive on the inside. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, and he's talking to you, the message behind the message. This is what you've got to understand is, is you know, I have another teaching I do called uh, the seed of dreams, your seed of dreams. And when you start to understand these things, that God has been speaking to you all along. Now, we know this, that God says very clearly, my sheep, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they run away from the voice of a stranger. Isn't that powerful? Did you know you can be confident in the fact that you hear God's voice just because you're born again? Just because you know the Lord, 
you will hear his voice, period. Now, we got to get all the clutter out. We got to do these things where we begin to recognize his voice. And I want to talk to you about this very, I have a number of things I could talk about and go down this road with today. But what I'd really like to mention to you is it's time for you to wake up to your divine occasion. Wake up to it. And not only just because it's morning, it's 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 uh, not just because it's morning that we say wake up, even though you should wake up, praise God. I've been up for several hours just spending time in the, the word of the Lord. And I thought, I, I think I'm going to go live today. It's Saturday. Hallelujah. But you wake up to your divine occasion. That means you begin to realize you have a realization through a revelation of what God's calling you to do. You have a revelation that you have the presence of God dwelling with you at all times. You have this realization that God is currently and presently with you right now. You need to wake up to that fact, ladies and gentlemen. We need to wake up to it and not be, uh, how could I say it? We need to be sober in our thinking, sober in our process, whereas we are in this place of sober thinking, sober meditation, we'll come to a point where we are waking up to what God has called us to do. You begin to wake up to your divine occasion, and your divine occasion is constant. It's like a river. It is always in motion. You know, that's the way it works. God is always speaking. So this is important. I'm in uh, Romans chapter 12. Let's just go here. Romans chapter 12. I had a thought. I had a, the Holy Spirit reminded me of something. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse... We, this is a famous scripture, Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You recognize all this. Uh, present your bodies, verse 1 says, as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. But now it goes down to verse 3 where it says, For I say through the grace given to me. Or right, here we go. Here we go. This is going to be good for you. It's going to bless you for the grace given to me. Now listen, this is Paul talking. He's saying, for the grace given to me, uh, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, I'm going to stop there for a moment. The grace given to you is talking about a recognizing of your divine occasion, okay? The grace given to you is what you are marked to do by God. It's the empowerment to accomplish not only the gospel in your life, but the grace given to you is that that charisma, that, that grace gift that's been given to you to do something, to accomplish something in this world, to go forward. The grace given to you. For I say through, now listen, there's Paul talking again, through the grace given to me. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. The only time you should be speaking before the Lord is through the grace given to you. In other words, do not go beyond what is written. Know what God has called you to do and then speak in your lane. When you're in your lane and you recognize your lane and you understand your lane, now you can speak through your lane. The grace given to you is the lane of operation you are supposed to be in. And today you need to wake up to that understanding. You need to wake up to the divine occasion of your grace lane. And when you have this understanding working through you, you'll have great victory operating, great power operating, because literally your tools will match the assignment. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Many people think they're on an assignment, but they don't have the tools to match it. Or they have the tools, but the wrong assignment, because they went and developed the wrong tools, okay? So we need to have tools that match the assignment. When you are in the grace given to you, you will have the tools that match your assignment. Whether or not you feel capable or not, God has equipped you with the tools to match your assignment with the grace given to you. And this is what it is when you wake up to your divine occasion. When you're waking up to your divine occasion, oh, I want to speak in tongues, man. Hallelujah. When you wake up to your divine occasion, 
It means you are coming into the realization of the grace of God given to you for a specific assignment, and you're also like the sons of Issachar, that you can recognize the times and the seasons of where you are in that journey. And that if, if listen, oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a person that can identify the times and seasons in your journey, and what it'll do is it'll give you peace and not make you so eager to get to the next stage. Instead, you'll be comfortable where you are because you're waking up and recognizing today Today is the day I hear his voice, as Hebrews says, and I'm in a divine occasion right now. I'm in a divine occasion right now. And when you have that in operation in you, you won't be eager and striving for the next season where you go, oh, when I get there, it's going to be better. When I get there, that place called there, when I arrive there, it's going to be better. Ladies and gentlemen, instead of being full of need for there, you're so confident and so secure now in enjoying your journey now, you're awaking to your divine occasion. And your divine occasion is right now. And when you're in that setting, ladies and gentlemen, peace will flood your soul. Life will flood your soul. Goodness will flood your soul. Mercy will flood your soul. You'll know where you're going. You'll know what it's about. You won't be all anxious for tomorrow. You know, it's like what the Lord says, take no take no concern regarding tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to have enough concerns for itself. We have all these things. Many times, you know, think about five years ago when you thought about, I want to get there. I want to get to X, Y, and Z. I want to be in that position in my life. And when you get there, all of a sudden you got what you thought you wanted. And now today you're not thinking about, oh, I'm here. I've arrived. You're not thinking about tomorrow. (laughs) And when are we going to be content where we are? When are we going to be there? I'll tell you, when you wake up to your divine occasion, and your divine occasion is right now. Your divine occasion is right now. When you wake up to the right now, the here and now, be present where you are, wherever God's placed you, be present, serve, be faithful, enjoy the journey with God. Wake up and say, my goodness, this is the day the Lord has made, you know, and all these things. You know, we, so many people say, well, today and tomorrow, I'm going to plan this. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go this way, that way, that way. And it says clearly in the epistles teaches us that we're supposed to say, if God wills, I will go here and go there. And it actually is not something that God enjoys when we say yes, yes, and no, no, and all these things. In, in God's promises, it is yes and amen for today. We're not supposed to brag about tomorrow and really be all, you know, blown up about tomorrow. We need to not be even striving about tomorrow. We need to be waking up to our divine occasion today. Now, we plan for tomorrow. We plan. We're we're diligent. We can say, hey, good things are coming. This is great. That kind of stuff. But I'm talking about you don't want to live in tomorrow. You want to live in the assignment God's given you now, planning for tomorrow, being faithful for tomorrow, but enjoying the here and now. If you don't do that, you will always feel like you're missing out like you don't have what God's calls you to do, like you're not in the full flow of what God's uh, given you. And it's it's uh, actually a challenging position. And I'd say, I would say, that, and maybe I'm off on this, but I would say the vast majority of believers and Christians live uh, that way. They live towards tomorrow. They live striving. Oh, if I can just get this next paycheck, if I can just get to this next location, if I can make this connection, when are we going to be thrilled about today? Boom. We need to be thrilled about today. Praise God. So, again, today I encourage you to wake up to your divine occasion. And by definition, your divine occasion is the here and the now. Because you'll never have more Holy Ghost in you than you do now. You'll never have more of God in you than you do now. When people say, I want more of you, God. I want more of you. You know, people cry out to God. I want more. I want more of you, God. I want more of you. And God's looking at you like, how can I possibly give you more of me? 
You, you, are, you have a measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. You have a measure of the spirit of Jesus. You have, you have the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had living in you. Jesus died for you. He's not going to do it again and double himself and give you another Jesus. There's only one Jesus. There's only one God. There's only one Holy Spirit dispersed to all of us. For us to say we want more of you means you don't know what you've got. He wants more of us. Amen. We should say, I give more of me. I give more of me. That's how the song should be saying. Let's go back to Romans chapter 12. Very quickly, Romans chapter 12. We get into this. It says, for the grace, verse 3 of Romans chapter 12, Paul's saying this. He says, for I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you. Now, Paul was saying this, and there's a principle here. When you realize Paul had a grace to say what he said, and it's the same with you and I. We have a grace given to us, and that means we have the tools for the the path. We have the tools for the lane. The tools for the lane means the grace given to speak in that lane. Now, Paul's saying, for the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. This is so good. But think soberly. Woo! Think soberly. Hallelujah. Think soberly as God has dwelt to each one a measure of faith. And this is what I was just talking about. A measure of faith doesn't mean you got a thimble full, you got a swimming pool full, you got an ocean full, and another person got, you know, a a cup full of faith. That's not what it's talking about. It's not like this one got a bucket, this one got, you know, a truckload, this one got that. No, it says each one has been given a measure of faith, meaning really we all have the faith of Jesus. We all have the faith of God working through us, each and every one of us. And when you start to understand that, it means that you and I have this working measure of Jesus's faith, of God's faith. And so that means we're all equal in the Holy Ghost. And that faith, that same measure of faith, that same ability, that same understanding to move forward and do what God's called us to do means that it's according to the grace given to you and according to your assignment. So the grace given to you means that the same faith applied to everybody. When you apply that faith to the grace given to you, that means you're awakening to your divine occasion. And your divine occasion is right now. Your divine occasion will be tomorrow. Amen. It will be next year. will be next week, but it's right now. When you wake up to your divine occasion in the here and the now, by the grace given to you that you have a full measure of right now, then it's on you. Praise God. Well, praise God. And you start to recognize these things that the grace of God will begin to flow through you. So powerful. And it's for your lane. It's for your purpose, that divine occasion in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And so when we're looking at this, notice though the opposite or the antithesis, the opposite of walking in a measure of God's faith or the, how could I say it? Uh, the opposite of, of the grace given to you. It, it says this, Paul goes on to say, uh, uh, the grace given to me, I say to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Now, what's the opposite of thinking soberly about the grace given to you or about waking to your divine occasion? It means this, that you think not soberly. It means that you think in a vain imagination about your future. Now, listen, we need to not think with vain imaginations about our future. Sober thinking versus vain thinking is is the opposite of one another. When you're thinking soberly, that means you're waking up to what God's called you to do and you're sharp in your mind, you're sharp in the intention of your heart, and you're at peace with where you are now. But the opposite of that is to think like somebody that is is inebriated, somebody that is not walking soberly, somebody that is that is intoxicated uh, and, and with imagination. Now, this isn't talking about in the natural. It's talking, or it could, but 
but it's talking about in the, the, the realm of thinking, the realm of our heart, the realm of the grace given to us. You can begin to think in a way that is intoxicated in your thinking. And that means this. If you're thinking about, oh, tomorrow I'll do this. The next day I'll do that. I'm going to go down the road. I'm going to have this and that happen. And you're just walking in a pathway where you believe that tomorrow's going to be the better day and all these things. And that's good. We need to have faith for tomorrow. But I'm talking about your plans and your heart desires and, and being unsettled where you are, but thinking, oh, one day I'll get there. You need to think soberly and be calm where you are and enjoy the fact that you are in a divine occasion every minute of every day, and you need to begin to train your thinking that way. Now, vain thinking it is talking about a man's own imagination. We know Romans one twenty one talks about vain and imaginations, the, the vain imaginations that begins to happen. And we also recognize that um, it says Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. I just I had a couple thoughts about this. Psalm chapter 2 uh, and verse 1 talks about the heathen rage and imagine a vain thing. They imagine a vain thing. And then also we, we recognize that uh, uh, Jeremiah 9, verse 14 says, They walk after the imagination of their own heart, and uh, these things begin to happen, and it's not a positive connotation. Jeremiah says they walk after the imagination of their own heart. Instead of finding the grace given to you, sometimes we walk after these vain imaginations, not sober thinking, but you're almost intoxicated with your visions and dreams. So what is it to be intoxicated with your visions and dreams and, and, and be not sober in them? What does that really mean? Well, it means this. It means that you have your own process that is not mixed with the Word of God, not mixed with your measure of faith from Jesus, and not mixed with the grace lane that you're supposed to be in. And therefore, you're imagining a vain thing. And so many times people look at, say, social media, or you'll look at television, or you'll look at the world's images, and we think that is what belongs to me. That is how I'm going to act. And we're being trained by the world, and it creates a vain imagination inside of our heart and our mind, and we're not awake to our divine occasion. We are so, we're not sober to our divine occasion, meaning the here and the now. The here and the now. I mean, what did Yoda say to Luke? I mean, let's, let's think about this. What did Lotus, Yoda say to Luke? He always said to him, he said, never your mind on where you were, what you were doing. <laughs> he said, I was your mind on the future. I was your mind on these things. You know, where you were and what you were doing. And so we've got to be people that are, have our mind on where we are, what we are doing, and thinking soberly about the grace of God given to us and and it starts with just simply enjoying the fact that we are in God's grace, that God wants us to win more than we do. God wants us to win right now, right here, and we're awake to our divine occasion. In other words, we are not like a drunk person in our imagination. We're not wandering around like somebody that is in vanity of our mind, vanity of our thinking. Now think about this with me very quickly. Remember Genesis 11? Let's, let's think about vain imagination did you know, let me, let me pivot on this thought for a moment. Vain imagination, or in other words, vain imagination is equal to when you're not thinking soberly. In other words, you have an imagination that is not in line with your grace, that is not in line with your pathway, that is not in line with what God's called you to do. You are not awake to your divine occasion. You're not awake to your daily divine occasion. So therefore, you have, you have the opposite happening and did you know, however, that if you are a person, that you have a vain imagination and you use your imagination, did you know that it can still come to pass even if your imagination is not in line with the, the word of God? Now listen to me. 
This is important. It's, it talks about in Romans 7 that uh, the, the law of the mind, the law of the mind, meaning whatever you meditate on, whatever you picture enough, you will have manifest in your experience to some level because you have incubated it inside this creative mechanism called the mind and the heart. And when you meditate on these things, that is how things are created. That's how God did it. God must, he, he pictures things and he speaks what he wants to be. That's how he created the world. God thinks it and then he speaks it. God created us. We're in his image and likeness. And now when we think on things, we, we must believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's how we receive salvation. Now, if you're believing in your heart and you're not in the gospel, but you're believing in your heart for something you've seen that is not of God, or maybe it's just a distracting path or a good path, but it's not what God gave you. And you begin to confess it and think on that. You will manifest it in your heart and you will see it in your experience. Now, listen to me. I just, I need to really say this now. This is important. So just because you have a vain imagination doesn't mean it won't happen. You can actually manufacture and make imaginations manifest into the natural. Now, let me give you an example of this. Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11 is talking about, if you all remember this, the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11. This is the example. This is when you begin to understand what a vain imagination can do, and you can accomplish things if you have a vain imagination, even if it's outside your grace gift, your calling, all these things. Because if you think about something and you meditate on it enough, you will see it manifest to some level. Let me give you an example of this, and this is what how God worked with it. So I'm just going to I'm just going to read this real quick, okay? Hang with me. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and one speech. Now let me just read this in verse 2. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. Verse 3. It says, Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And had they had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And verse 4, and it says, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for uh, ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Now, let me say this about something here. Now, in Sunday school or different people, I don't know how your persuasion is or what you were raised under, but I remember when I was taught about the Tower of Babel, I thought it was literally this tower that was like 10 times the tower in Dubai or wherever, and it was going to go way up into the heavens and literally up into space or something. And they were building a tower that would go all the way to heaven. That is not what this is. This is a, uh, uh, an occultic tower. In other words, if you look into history and all that, you'll find out what they built was not a tower that was so high. It wasn't about how high it was. It was more about what they did. Did there. In other words, they built something, they built a place to do human sacrifices or whatever it was that they were doing and do a cultic operation to demon gods. So they built a large, like you'll see in, uh, I've been to where the Aztecs built things or the Mayans built things and I've climbed those pyramids. I've been on top of those in Mexico and all these things and you stand there and you go, my goodness. And we were up there one day, I was there with another friend of mine and a storm was rolling in when we were standing on top of one of the pyramids in Mexico. And and so what I'm saying though is this, is that they didn't build a tower that went way up to space. They built what they called a ziggurat. A ziggurat is a pyramid type of thing that has a flat top and has zigzag steps that go up to it and they would go up and they'd begin to 
to do sacrifices and call on gods and all that stuff. So that's what the Tower of Babel was. It wasn't some high spiral, you know, spire that went way up into the sky. It was something that was probably very tall, but that it had nothing to do with its height. It had to do with its purpose. When it said, let's build a tower that reaches heaven. They were trying to touch God, touch the realm of the supernatural, unauthorized from the, the spirit of God. Okay, quick snapshot on that. Now let's get back into what we're talking about. We realize this, it says here in verse five, where we just stopped, it says, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the son of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, verse six of Genesis 11, indeed, the people are one. The people are one. Now listen to that. That meant they were all in unity. And we're going to begin doing a whole teaching on unity eventually here, but that the people were one and they were all one language. In other words, they were of one heart and one mind, okay? And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing, listen now, verse six, this is so vital. You gotta hear this. Verse six, this is God talking or the Trinity speaking. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Think about that statement. Think about that statement. God is saying they were of one mind in their imagination and one purpose, one heart, one language. So in other words, they were one in heart and one in their speech, one in heart and one in their speech. And therefore God said, whoa. He looked at them and said, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, when people imagine something, and of course we know the rest of the story, God had to strike their language and break it all up so he could stop what they were doing because they would have accomplished it. They would have accessed the realm of the supernatural as one unified race of people, and they would have actually done it. And it, it God said that has to stop because they would have had illegal access, uh, unauthorized access to the realm of the supernatural, and who knows what would have unfolded in those early days. But here's what happened. God broke it up. He stopped it. Now, we recognize this. The principle is here, though, that when you have a vain imagination, now we're back in Romans 12, okay, a vain imagination, and you begin to say, my goodness, I'm going to do this. This is where I'm going. And then you find like-minded people, and you're all having a vain imagination towards the same thing. You can literally accomplish anything when you have people in agreement and you have a vain imagination that go for it. Now, listen to me. The opposite of that and the good of that is where you switch that and you awaken to your divine occasion. When you wake up to your divine occasion, you are operating in God's will. Now, how much more potent and powerful will it be if Christians don't just always be on the beginning part of that? I was going, well, I'm waking up to my divine occasion again. Well, God's got something good for me. Instead of that, we we begin to discipline ourselves. We begin to train our thinking. We begin to train the image of our heart. We begin to train and, and find the grace that God's given us. And that comes through listening to teaching like this. That comes from spending time in the word of God. That comes from exercising your senses out of Hebrews chapter five, verse 14. You recognize when you exercise your senses, you are bringing order to your imagination. You're bringing order to the heart picture you have on the inside. And then on top of that, order to your words. And not only that, then the unity of people that come together around us. When we get in the right culture, we find our people, we find our grace, we find our lane, and then we discipline ourselves to craft that image uh, and, and be in enjoyment for the here and now. I'm telling you what, ladies and gentlemen, you'll begin to open up fresh revelation that will break through and you will accomplish the very thing God set you apart to do. But we've got to not think so, you know, the devil is walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
Do you know the devil can't just jump out of the bushes? It's like you're not hiking through a park or something, and all of a sudden you hear a little roar, and you see the bushes shake. Like, oh, what was that? You know, it's not like roar. Oh, what was that? And you keep jogging. All of a sudden, next thing you know, roar! He jumps out and he devours you. Devil can't do that. He can't do that. But did you know? Listen carefully now. Do you know that in the book of Genesis, when it talks about it talks about the serpent, and remember when the, uh, God said to the serpent, He said. You will bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head, and you'll crawl on the belly of the earth, and you will literally eat the dust of the earth. The dust of the earth will be the serpent's food. Oh, my goodness. Listen to me. The dust of the earth will be the serpent's food. What, what is man made from? Anybody remember out of the book of Genesis when, when God said, let us make man in our image and all that stuff? But how did he do it? He literally breathed into the dust. He breathed into the dirt. So when we talk about the serpent eating the dirt or, or eating off the dirt of the earth, eating the dust, is talking about flesh, our carnality. It's talking about your, uh, your impulses, your carnal desires, your things that you allow to hang out and do whatever that is not a, a part of the spirit. Now, if you get into sin and carnality, God loves you. He loves you very much. But the enemy of our soul, he feeds off carnality. The devil's carnal. He feeds off, off things that are anti-God, anti-spirit. And when we get into the flesh, the devil feeds off that. So let's fast forward to the New Testament where it says the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The may devour thing is absolutely, how can I say it? The may devour thing is a word of permission. May devour, may devour. Seeking whom he may devour. That's a permission word. The devil can't devour anyone that has not allowed their flesh to lead. When your flesh is leading, the devil will eat the dust of your carnality. In other words, what you give him, he'll eat. It's what feeds him. It's what feeds him. And notice how he leads. The devil is a roaring lion, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In other words, the devil sends out sonar with his words, sonar with his persuasion, sonar with his thoughts. And if he gets a ping somewhere in somebody's heart or somebody's situation, he literally begins to say, oh, I found one. I found somebody that's got carnality hanging out. I can't, you know, make them not go to heaven. I can't do this. But as much as they're willing to give me, I will devour them. In other words, he begins to speak with lies about you, tries to pervert your thinking. He, per, he tries to make your, your, your uh, thinking that's not, he tries to make it so your thinking is intoxicated and not sober. And you begin to get in this place where he begins to, uh, if you listen to his words and his fiery darts and all these things, you will begin to manifest carnal thinking carnal activity, carnal walk. And when you do that, the devil can devour that because the serpent eats the dust. The dust is our carnality. The devil's a roaring lion. In other words, he's roaring with his words, seeking whom, because whoever responds to his words, then he may devour them. So what do we do? We renew our mind to the word of God. So how do you not walk in carnality? How do you overcome the flesh? How do you do that? Simple. It says in Galatians chapter five, verse 16, that if you walk in the spirit, Woo! Walk in the spirit. Here's how you beat the devil. Here's how you beat all this stuff. You don't need to go into warring intercession. You don't need to dance around with a flag and scream and holler and do all these things. You don't need to do any of that to beat the devil. The way you beat the devil at his own game is literally, it says in, in Galatians 5 verse 16, if you literally walk in the spirit, it says clearly there, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is the access of carnality. The lust of the flesh is when you are walking in carnality and giving the devil something to feed on. Okay. 
And so the way we defeat the roar of the lion, the way we defeat all these things and all that is we defeat it by walking in the spirit so we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that is John 6, 63. My word is spirit and it is life. If you want to walk in the spirit, you walk in the word of God. In other words, you meditate. So going all the way back to the beginning, the way you you conquer this, the way you begin to do this stuff is you begin to carve and craft your inner image, the what you think about, the grace given to you, waking up to your divine occasion, you do that by renewing your mind to the Word of God, by spending time in the Word of God, by listening to good teaching that keeps aiming you at the Word of God, and you develop in the Word of God. So your inner picture, you don't have a vain imagination. You are thinking soberly by the Word of God, and because of that, you will literally stop the roar of the devil. You will stop the, the ability to devour any part of your life or your family because you are now walking in the Spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, and you are walking in the Spirit which means, John 6, 63, you are walking in the word of God. Jesus said, my words are spirit, and they are life. So when you recognize you're walking in the word, you're walking in the spirit, and walking in the spirit is how you do not fulfill carnal desires, and you do not fulfill those things that the devil can devour, and therefore you are finding you are in the lane God calls you to be in, you are awake and sober to your divine occasion, and you're able to walk these things through and have victory accomplishing in a daily moment-by-moment basis what God has purposed in your life. Thank you for listening to this message. For more resources, visit josephz.com. Become a partner today and help us build lives by the Word of God.